بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الحدي حدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So in today's lesson we're going to continue uh, with the second part of the commentary or the explanation on the hadith of the man from Bani Israel who killed 99 men. So this is a well-known famous hadith as it relates to uh, repentance. And in the first lesson, the last time that we met, uh, the Sheikh, Sheikh Ubaid, rahimahullah ta'ala, he extracted uh, a number of benefits, four benefits uh, from this hadith, the hadith uh, of the man who killed 99 men. He went looking for a scholar and the people directed him to a worshipper, a pious worshipper. So he went to the worshipper and the worshipper, because he was not grounded and rooted in knowledge, he said to him, there is no repentance for you. So he killed that man and he made a hundred. Then he began asking again the people to point him to a scholar. So this time they directed him to an alim, to a scholar. And uh, the scholar from his firasa, from his uh, perspicacity, meaning his, his ability to quickly grasp and understand things, uh, he realized that this man is in a bad environment and so he first of all gave him encouragement. He said, who can come between Allah and his servant, meaning Allah and, and repentance? Who can come between Allah and, and repentance? And so then he said, he directed him to leave his land and go to another land. So he left his place and as he was on the journey to the, to the, to the new land, his time came and he passed away. And so there was a dispute between the angels as to who should take him. Should it be the angels of mercy? Because he had repented and he was on his way to a, to a, new, you know, to a new life of, of righteousness. Or should the angels of punishment take him? Because this man had not done any good whatsoever. So as, as we read in the hadith, uh, it was the angels of mercy uh, who took him uh, because another angel came to arbitrate and so to the, to the end of the end of the hadith so from this hadith in the previous lesson the sheikh rahimahullah he took four benefits the first benefit was generally about narrations which come from bani israel and uh, how um, this particular hadith clearly it is authentic it is it is revelation uh, the messenger of Allah was given this knowledge about previous nations, in this case Bani Israel. And this is clearly an authentic 
narration relating to a real and true incident. However, there are many, many things which have come by way of the Bani Israel, by way of narrations, by way of stories, and we have to be careful in uh, these uh, narrations and these stories, and that we stick only to that which is which is revelation, um, uh, because there are there are many many uh, fabricated you know stories and incidents. So this is the first point the Sheikh mentioned. The second point the Sheikh mentioned is the issue of company. How in this hadith, the scholar, the deeply rooted scholar, he could tell that this man, if he's killed a hundred men. How do you kill a hundred men? You kill because of reasons of the world. And reasons of the world, they are either to do uh, with, with, with money, with wealth, with uh, shahwa, with desires. And so this must mean that the environment in which he is in, the people around him or the society around him, they are engrossed in, in these types of disputes to do with wealth, and uh, desires and things of that nature. So he then obviously realized this is an issue to do with company. So he directed him to leave the land. So the issue here is the issue of company and the effect that the company has upon a person. Uh, the third thing that the Sheikh took from, the, from this hadith is... Well, there's actually numerous other points, but from them is the excellence of knowledge and the excellence of the people of knowledge and how knowledge, deeply rooted knowledge, it allows a person to be, to be correct in his understanding and to be correct in the advice that he imparts to a Muslim or to a society or to the ummah. And that's why it's very important you know, what this hadith teaches us is that in these kind of personal issues that require rulings or even large-scale issues to do with the ummah that we return back to the deeply rooted uh, scholars who give their rulings based upon their knowledge and their understanding. And so from this third point, this third benefit around excellence of knowledge, there were some other issues that the Sheikh mentioned, rahimahullah, uh, from them was that we should beware of storytellers, that we should learn to distinguish between an alim, a scholar, and a storyteller. There are many, many storytellers who can tell a good story. They can stand on the minbar, and they can stir your emotions, and they can affect your feelings, but it doesn't mean that what, what they are speaking, or, or the understanding they have, or the rulings they are giving you, or the advice they are, that it's necessarily in accordance with the prophetic sunnah. So we have to distinguish between the ulama and the, the, the scholars and those who are the, the storytellers. Also the importance of uh, sticking to the scholars because they are the inheritors of the prophets. And also the sheikh raised the issue of imtihan. imtihan. This issue of testing people, examining people, uh, in matters of the religion and the world. And the Sheikh said that we take a middle path, a balanced path. So we do not speak with absolute imtihan that everybody and everything and every issue that we just start testing and examining people. No. And nor is it the other extreme 
where we, where we deny it and reject it altogether. Imtihan, testing, is actually a necessity. Right? We know in the worldly sense, if you want to give your daughter in marriage, you want to examine who is this person, if you want to engage in a business partnership, you have to know, well, who am I, who am I dealing with? Is he trustworthy? Right? So in the worldly sense, it, there's a necessity to make imtihan and to, and to see and to examine a person. Is he trustworthy? Is he reliable? Is he honest? Is he loyal? Is he this? Is he that? Right? And so likewise in the religion as well. In the religion as well. To examine a person uh, in terms of his creed, his methodology, what does he say about the Sahaba? Does, does he hate them? Does he speak ill of them? What does he say about the scholars? What does he say about uh, the rulers? Is he upon the way of the Khawarij? Is he way upon... Right? All these different types of issues. Uh, imtihan, it becomes necessary in certain situations. Right? When there's a person whose condition we do not know and he enters the community and maybe he's uh, you know, teaching or something or doing something and we don't have any knowledge. Right? So there are certain scenarios in which imtihan is necessary. And the final benefit from the pre previous lesson the Sheikh mentioned was the issue of the khatima, uh, the, the, the thing which a person dies upon. And he mentioned uh, that the uh, the actions are basically by, by what a person dies upon. Right? A person is sealed by way of the action that he dies upon. And uh, the Sheikh mentioned the importance of this uh, and how a person uh, has to be careful and to remain upon steadfastness and upon the right way, upon istiqama, and not to swerve to the right or to the left, uh, because it's very easy to, to, you know, to deviate from that. Anyhow, that's a brief recap of the previous lesson. So today we continue with the rest of the, of the sharh uh, of the shaykh, rahimahullah. And so after praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salat and salam upon his prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the shaykh then continues and he says that in this second half of the, of the explanation, uh, the focus is on at-tawbah, on repentance, because clearly this is what the hadith, the central uh, thing that the hadith revolves around. So he says, first of all, he gives us what is the meaning of tawbah, what tawbah fil lugha, min at-tawb, right? What does tawbah mean? Tawbah, it means, in the linguistically, it means at-tawb, which means to return, ar-ruju' to return. And we say taba yatubu an ida raja'a anhu, right? So in Arabic, we say uh, the, the, the verbs taba yatubu, that a man he turns or he recants or he turns away from something, meaning that he raja, uh, meaning he turns back away from something. And Allah Zawajal, from his names, he named himself Tawwaban, Tawwab, at Tawwab. And this means that, uh, as we see in the Quran, Inna Allah Tawwabun, Tawwabur Rahim. Indeed, Allah is Tawwab Ar Rahim and Rahim. Tawwab meaning one who constantly turns, in this case, to his servant in acceptance of his repentance. And the servant also is called Tawwab. Right? So in the Quran, we see Allah praises 
some of the believers in Allah indeed Allah he loves التوابين, meaning those who constantly uh, turn back from sins in repentance and he loves those who keep themselves pure so he named himself Tawab and he named his servant At-Tawab. Uh, what does it mean? Because the word is the same. When we refer, refer to Allah Azawajal, it means the one who constantly accepts the repentance of his servant. Right? When the servant turns to him, he turns to his servant and accepts his repentance. And when the servant is called Tawab, it means the one who when he sins, he always turns back in repentance and recants and turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Zawjal, he erases the sin and you know, he puts in its place a good deed. Now here, just as a, as a side point, this is often sometimes you see these Christian missionaries and Christian evangelists, they uh, try to be clever and they try, you know, when, when they study the Quran and they try to find uh, things to, to pick out from the Quran and one of the things they say like, like an, an example here would be you know like here Allah is called Tawab and the servant is called Tawab so who is, who is Allah who is your Allah you know who is he repenting to then right this is, this is from their jahl from their ignorance of the Arabic language and they really just make, make fools of themselves as you know in the Arabic language the, the, we, have, we have root uh, verbs which have root meanings it has a cluster of meanings in this case taba yatubo which means simply to to turn to turn to right and then depending on how that meaning uh, or to whom you know that 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 is applied it will take on a particular meaning so when we say allah is tawab it means the one who constantly turns constantly turns in this case, to a servant, right? So the root meaning is there. And when we say to the servant, tawab, it means the one who constantly turns, the same root meaning. In this case, what does it apply to? It means the servant turning away from his sin and turning to Allah. And Allah turning to his servant when he repents and accepting his repentance, right? So one, now one of the other examples that these people, they bring, is they say, look, your, your, your Allah prays in the Quran. Ya Allah praise. Doesn't, doesn't Allah say in, in your book, you know, Inna Allah wa malaikata, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi. Indeed, Allah and the angels, and they say, praise upon the Prophet. Right? Yusalluna ala nabi. And there's other verses as well uh, in the, you know, in, in the Quran. Huwa alladhi yusalli alaykum wa malaikatuh. He is the one, Allah is the one, yusalli alaykum wa malaikatuh. And other verses like that as well. So again, another example uh, to show their ignorance uh, because first of all, we know that the, in the Arabic language, there are certain words that have their original meaning uh, to the Arabs. Then when Islam came, Islam uh, took some of those words and incorporated other things and gave certain words a new technical or shari definition right 
So for example, zakat, 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 right? Aslan, it just means to, to be pure or it means to, to grow, nama, to, to, to grow, to increase. But Islamically, after Islam, zakat means to give 2.5% of your wealth on a nisab, which has been there for, for one year. Now it has a technical meaning, right? And the same with salah, salah, the prayer, right? When we use the word salah after the revelation of the Quran, then this means uh, an act of worship which comprises of statements and postures like standing, bowing, prostrating, certain, saying certain things. It refers to that act of worship. But if we go back to the original, what is the original root meaning? Like in this, in this case, uh, the scholars explain, uh, for example, uh, Ibn al-Athir, for example, says that the original meaning or one of the original meanings of salah is ta'zim, ta'zim, which means to, to uh, venerate, right? To make something great. Okay. So now, depending on who is doing the salah, then it takes a different meaning, right? So, for example, if we are... You know, if, 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 we, if we make salah, or the angels make salah, then they are invoking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise the status and to magnify the status of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Right? So, so, so that meaning is there. Right? It's, it's, it's invocation on our behalf. And if Allah is, like we well, like read, in the in the Quran, meaning he is the one who uh, raises you and venerates you, meaning make makes you great by way of what he has revealed to you of the guidance, and he and he elevates you and he raises you. It can also mean that he mentions you with praise and goodness in the company of the the angels, right? Meaning making your your position great, right? So the asal of the meaning is, is the same in every case, but it's being applied differently. The, the, the meaning, it takes on a different meaning depending on who is the one who is, you know, basically uh, doing the, do the action. So th this is from the, from the jahl of the Christians. They are people of jahl. They, they, they don't know and uh, they try to hold on to these straws. In contrast to them are the Yahud. Uh, they are not upon jahl, they are upon ilm. And so, when they do what they do, then it is upon ilm, right? It, it, it is upon, upon knowledge and done with intent. So anyhow, uh, we were saying that Allah is a tawab, the servant is a tawab, and obviously this takes on the, the specific meaning. And the Sheikh says that as far as the servant is concerned, then he acknowledges his sin, to his master, to his Lord. And um, he, you know, he, he, he turns back to his, to his Lord. And in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, we find many hadith which explain that repentance erases what came before it. And so the one who is a ta'ib, the one who is a ta'ib from the sin, then he becomes like the one who has absolutely no sin. He has no sin. So this is from the favors and bounties of Allah Azza wa Unlike previous nations, if you recall in a previous lesson, 
we mentioned that, for, for example, amongst the, the Bani Israel, uh, there were certain sins which if you did, the repentance was that you, that you be put to death. Right? So there was, there was like uh, sternness and, and harshness and severity. But Allah brought uh, you know, mercy, rahmah in the sharia and uh, he made tawbah very, very easy. Uh, there is expiation, there is tawbah. And so it's from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyhow, this is tawbah, right? So this is tawbah. From here, there, is, there are numerous masail, numerous issues. The first masala, the first issue is what is the hukum? What is the shari'i hukum on tawbah, on this action of tawbah? What is the ruling? And by shari'i hukum, we mean is what is it? Is it wajib? Is it mustahab? Is it mubah? What is, what is the ruling? And the sheikh says that uh, at tawbah wajiba wujuban ainiyan. That tawbah is obligatory with an individual obligation upon every single person, Al Mukallaf. Who is Al Mukallaf? Al Mukallaf, as the Sheikh says, who Al Balig Al Aqil. When we say Al Mukallaf, we mean someone who is bound to act upon the Islamic obligations. Who is that person? from the people of, uh, amongst the people of Iman, it is al-balig, al-balig al-aqil, the one who has reached uh, puberty, maturity, and who is al-aqil, meaning he understands the discourse, right? He understands speech and he's able to respond to speech and he has reached uh, maturity or puberty. So that person, from that person is the obligation to repent from all sins. From all sins. And what is the evidence for this? Like when we say it's wajib, there has to be an evidence. What is the evidence? The Shaykh mentions the ayah in the Quran. Uh, in Surah An-Nur, verse 31. Uh, and repent all of you to Allah, O believers, in order that you may prosper. In order that you may prosper. This is a clear command. And this command is directed to his believing servants because they are the ones who responded to the Quran, they responded to Allah, responded to the Messenger, and they believed in Allah, they submitted by way of their tongues and you know, the, the, by way of their limbs in, in action and by way of their hearts in terms of belief. So because they are the believers, then they are addressed with the Sharia commands, right? Because they are the ones who benefit from the command and the prohibition. So we see the, uh, what the point uh, the Sheikh is making is that in this case, there is a specific type of discourse to the believers in the Quran. Because the believers have believed in Allah believed in the messenger uh, they they are the ones who will benefit from command and from prohibition so that's why we see frequently in the quran ya amanu and then a command follows tubu ilallah or you know something else because the people of iman are the people who actually benefit from the command and from the prohibition and then we have other types of discourse for other types of people for the people of disbelief for Ahlul Kitab, for the people of the book, uh, to the Yahud, to the Nasara, to the hypocrites, to 
you know, different types of people are addressed with different types of discourse. Um, but the believers from their way is they believe in Allah, they express this Iman with their tongue, with their limbs, in the heart, in terms of beliefs, and um, they believe in whatever the messenger informs them, the akhbar, the reports that come to them from the messenger of Allah and likewise in the Quran. And so they believe all of that, that it is true and real, and they do not fall into any uh, kind of suspicions or imaginations or presumptions or anything like, anything like that where they start doubting about, okay, what did the messenger tell me here? Is it really real? Is it true? Is it this? Is it that? They believe in everything, right? So they believe uh, if we are told there is punishment in the grave, we believe in the life of the grave. It is true and real. If we are told that there is paradise and hellfire and there are scales that will weigh the deeds and there are scrolls and the things that we believe in all these things, right? There's nothing that that tells us that these things are not real or are, or are impossible. They are true and real and we have evidence also that they are certainly plausible. Right? So this is how a believer is, that he is firm in his iman. So this is the one who will benefit from the command and the prohibition because the asal of iman is present with him. So he will benefit out of his iman by abiding by the command and the prohibition. So from those things is tawbah. From those things is tawbah. He benefits from tawbah. And so what's the wisdom in tawbah? Allah Zawajal mentions it, or the reason, the ta'leel, the reason. Allah says in the same ayah, In order that you may be, that be successful. That you may be successful. And so... Uh, by way of tawbah, we obtain a mighty benefit, uh, which is success in this life, success in the world. And the Sheikh mentions the statement, Right? It is to be successful in achieving the thing that you aspire for, which is Allah's forgiveness and paradise. And to be saved from the marhub, to be saved from the thing that from which you fear and are apprehensive. So tawbah brings you these two things, right? Gives you success in achieving what you what you what you aspire for, which is Allah's forgiveness paradise, and it protects you, you know, uh, and delivers you from what you fear, from what you are apprehensive of. So here the Sheikh mentions La'alla doesn't mean maybe or perhaps La'allakum here it is with the meaning of ta'lil, which means to explain the reason behind it. Right? Which means uh, that um, uh, which means that La'allakum uh, tuflihun that tawbah, the, 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 the reason for tawbah is so that you can be successful in the hereafter. Anyhow, that's the first mas'ala. The hukum on tawbah, it is wajiba upon every single mukallaf for every single sin, for all sins. And this leads to the, to the next issue, second mas'ala, which is the shaykh says, فِيمَنْ كَانَتْ عَلِيهِ ذُنُوبٌ فَتَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِهَا دُونَ بَعْدِهَا Regarding the person who has some sins, so he repents from some of them and not others. 
Is his repentance accepted for those sins? Or are they not accepted at all because he still has other sins? Right? And so the Sheikh says that the sins that he repents from, then obviously they are, they are you know, this is accepted. Repentance is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as for those he hasn't repented from, then obviously they, they remain with him. He still has to repent from them. Uh, he still has to make tawbah. And from this point onwards, there are a number of important, maybe two or three important issues to do with creed that we want to stop and focus upon here. The first thing uh, the Sheikh says is that we believe as Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah that accepting repentance, when Allah, when Allah accepts repentance, this is, is, is this because it's obligatory upon him to accept repentance? Or is it because this is a bounty and a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that he accepts our, our repentance? Right? Which of the two is it? And uh, the Sheikh says that the belief of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah is that to accept repentance from Allah, it is tafaddul wa ihsan. It is basically Allah bestowing a favor, a bounty. It is benevolence from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, because no one, there, there is nothing obligatory upon Allah. Right? Like no one can make anything obligatory upon Allah. However, Allah can make things obligatory upon himself. If he wants to, if he wants to, right? So what the Sheikh is mentioning here is there are certain people like, like the Mu'tazila, right? And what they say, because they, they make analogies for Allah from the creation, they say, they say it is obligatory upon Allah that he always does that which is for the benefit of the servant. Right? They make this obligatory upon Allah. What they are saying is that Allah is obligated to do that, to do only that which is beneficial for the servant, which is for the servant's best interest. Right? So it's as if they are making something wajib upon Allah. First of all, first of all, there are no obligations upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? There's no one to make anything obligatory upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Except, of course, whatever Allah makes obligatory upon himself. Right? If Allah makes something wajib upon himself, then, then we say this, then this is an obligation upon, upon Allah. But we cannot make we cannot say, ah, it's wajib upon Allah to, to do such and such for the servant because it's in his best interests. Now, to read you a statement here from one of their scholars, An-Nadham, he's one of their big scholars, and he says, uh, he says, indeed, Allah, inna Allah la yaqdiru an yaf'ala bi'ibadihi khilafa ma fihi salahuhum. Indeed, Allah is not able to do anything in opposition to that which is for the benefit of the servants. 
right? It is clearly stated here that Allah is unable to do anything except that or which, which opposes that which is for the benefit of the servant. The reason why they say this is related to Al-Qadr because as you know, the Mu'tazila, they deny Al-Qadr. They believe a man creates his own actions and they believe Allah, you know, his will, his wish, his creative power, that it's not involved when a man does his actions, right? Because they are try because what they're trying to do is they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they want to deny that Allah is the one who misguides and who guides. Because according to them, if Allah is the one who misguides and guides, how can then he punish and reward? If he's the one who guides and misguides, he's misguiding people, right? So this is why they say that Allah is obligated to only do that which is in the, for the rectification or for the benefit of the servant. And he's obligated to do that. They make it wajib. Who are you to speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to say this is wajib upon Allah? By using your reason, right? Your corrupt reason. You know, after you denied Al-Qadr, who are you to, to say and do that? Right? Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, speaking about this, he says that as for وَأَمَّا الْإِجَابُ عَلَيْهِ سُبْحَانُهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ وَالتَّحْرِيمُ بِالْقِيَاسِ عَلَىٰ خَلْقِهِ As for like, you know, making something obligatory upon Allah or making something haram upon Allah, by way of making analogies, you make analogies from the, from the creation. It's like, for example, they say a father or a mother is obligated to do only that which is for the benefit of his children. It's wajib upon him, right, to do, to do that. So what they do is they look at the creation and they see certain people have obligations and then they think, they make an analogy and they think that Allah too has obligations towards his creation. Allah is not obligated, doesn't have, doesn't have any obligation towards his creation at all. Right? You are making this, uh, this qiyas. So, Ibn Taymiyyah says, this is the statement of the Qadariyyah. This meaning the Mu'tazila. They are the ones who say this. And this is an innovated statement, a statement which opposes that which is authentically narrated and what is authentic, what, what is sound reason. It opposes both these things. As for Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, they are agreed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of everything. He's the Lord of everything. He is the owner of everything. Whatever he wills occurs. Whatever he does not will does not occur. And that the servants do not make anything obligatory upon Allah. Who are we to make? Who are we to say this is wajib upon Allah? We, we're not to do that. For this reason, some of Ahlul Sunnah, the ones uh, who, who do say that there are, there are obligations upon Allah, they say, Right? So we say that Allah has prescribed upon himself, made obligatory upon himself, mercy. Right? Because this is what we find uh, in, the, in the Quran, that Allah Azawajal, you know, he wrote, he prescribed upon himself uh, mercy. And, ظلم, And he made dhulm unlawful upon himself. Like we read in the, in the Hadith Qudsi, 
that indeed Allah has made unlawful upon himself a dhulm. Right? So it is for this reason that a servant, uh, that a servant, his tawbah is accepted by Allah. Not because, not because a servant deserves anything from Allah. See the difference? Right? The servant does not deserve anything from Allah. You, know, you are not mustahiq of anything from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is not obligated with anything with respect to you. Right? It is because Allah has written upon himself mercy and has prohibited upon himself, made it unlawful, zulm, that he does what he does. Tafaddulun wa ihsanun, as the Shaykh said. Right? Out of, out of bounty, out of mercy, out of benevolence, out of kindness. This is, this is what defines the relationship between Allah and his creation. So as the Shaykh says, this is why it is, لَا أَنَّ الْعَبْدَ نَفْسَهُ مُسْتَحِقٌ عَلَى اللَّهِ شَيْئًا كَمَا يَكُونُ لِلْمَخْلُوقِ عَلَى الْمَخْلُوقِ This is not like how it is between the creation. Right? Between the creation, I do you a favor, you do me a favor back. Right? I, I, you know, I, I, I loan you some money, you, you have to give it to me back. I help you physically with something, you are a favor to me. Right? This is how it works amongst the creation. But Allah Azawajal, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْمُنْعِمُ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ بِكُلِّ خَيْرٍ Allah is the one who has bestowed all favors, all good upon his servants. He's the one who created them. He's the one who sent to them messengers. He is the one who facilitates and makes easy for them iman and righteous actions. And what these mu'tazila, qadariya, what they believe, what they say, what they claim, that, you know, that, 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 that the creation deserve yastahiquna alihi right it's as if if an employer hires an employee and the employee does some work some service well now he deserves his wages he deserves his wages right so this is not the relationship between the creation and the creator we we don't deserve anything right even alongside our worship, our obedience, uh, our compliance, uh, this is not something now Allah owes us something. <clears throat> right? Allah doesn't owe us anything. And that's not the nature of the relationship. So as the Shaykh wasn't to say, that anyone who says that this is, this is how it is, that we somehow uh, deserve or have a right, this person, this person is an ignoramus in this. Um, you know, so this is not this is not how it is. So the right that we have is actually from his bounty and his benevolence. It is not from the angle of like compensation or recompense you know mutual kind of compensation nor is it because someone has obligated it upon Allah to reward us or to forgive it no right it is purely from his ihsan uh, from his bounty from his favor so that's the first thing there are no obligations upon Allah except what he obligated upon himself this is the statement of Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah Unlike what he said by the Mu'tazila, that they through their 
reason and rationale. They try to say, Allah must do this. Allah is obligated to do this. Allah, no, it's not for you to say that. Right? So that's the first. This is the first point of belief that we can mention as it relates to Tawbah. Is Allah obligated to accept our Tawbah? Because we deserve it now, because we turned away from a sin and we turned to Allah. No. Allah accepts the Tawbah because He obligated upon Himself a Rahmah and because of His Ihsan, His benevolence, right? So don't believe that, you know, this, this, this helps us to remove this feeling uh, or this thought or this idea that because somehow you're so pious and so righteous and you repent to Allah and you cry to Him and you this and you that, whatever, now you deserve a good life and lots of wealth and lots of this and lots of that you know what no because there, there are things from Allah's wisdom that you do not understand that he's decreed for you right so you, you can't have this feeling that somehow I deserve something from you know so it helps to remove that false thought or that idea from creeping into the mind and so this is a point of belief that should be very that we should be very clear upon that we say there are no obligations upon Allah towards his servants towards his creation except what Allah himself has made oblig obligatory right this is the first point the second point the shaykh says from the creed of in this issue of as we are speaking about uh, Tawbah and al-abd al-mudhnib the servant who is sinful, when he repents from his sin or his sins, he is not to be rebuked or criticized for his prior, you know, the, 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 the affair that he was upon before his, before his repentance. Right? He is not to be rebuked for whatever sins he committed before his tawbah. Again, this is an issue in which the Mu'tazila, the Mu'tazila, the Sheikh says, خِلَافًا لِلْمُعْتَزِلَةً فَإِنَّ عِنْدَهُمْ وَمِنْ أَقَائِدِهِمْ الْفَاسِدَةً تَعْيِيرَ الْمَرْءَ بِذَنْبِهِ الَّذِي تَابَ مِنْهُ From the ways of the Mu'tazila is to rebuke a man, to rebuke a man for sins which, which he did before and which he's repented from. Right? Now again, what's the, what, why would the Mu'tazila, why do they say, why do they say that a person is to be rebuked and criticized even for the sins that he committed uh, that he committed and that he made Tawbah from. Again, this goes back to the fact that they deny Al-Qadr. They reject Al-Qadr. Right? Because you reject Al-Qadr, if you deny Al-Qadr, uh, um, this goes to the, to, to the hadith of the debate between Adam salam and Musa salam. And there's a discussion, I don't want to go into it here, uh, but there's a discussion around that hadith to do with, okay, what was the argument of Adam salam against Musa? And, um, you know, putting the blame 
for what thing was it? Was it for the calamity or was it for the sin? Right? So there's a whole discussion. I, I refer you to that discussion uh, from the speech of the scholars. Um, I, I discussed it in the, the lessons on Tadmuriya uh, a few lessons back. You can refer back to that. Uh, but, but because the, the, the Mu'tazila, they deny the fact that Allah decrees the actions of the servants, which includes the sins, right? So Allah decrees a sin upon you. Allah decreed it for you. They don't believe that. They don't believe that because they believe a servant completely outside of Allah's will and his power, he is doing his own actions from his own power. Allah has no role in that when he does that action, when he commits a sin. So therefore, they absolutely would put a blame on a person, even if he's repented from the sin, he's saying, you're still blameworthy because you, you committed a sin, you fell into a sin because ultimately you are creating your own actions and this is their way of thinking. Whereas we believe as Ahlu Sunnah that Allah He decrees all good and all evil. Right? Even our evil deeds, Allah decreed them to happen and there are wisdoms behind them. There are, there are, in fact, we will look at some of the wisdoms behind uh, sin, called the commission of sin. But Allah decrees these actions and sometimes that sin can be a means to becoming a better person, for example, right? And so if a person has committed a sin and then has repented from the sin, then we, we cannot blame that person for the thing that he did before because now we can use Al-Qadr as an argument, right? We can use Al-Qadr as an argument. We can say, I committed a sin, it was decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I repented from it, right? In the past, we can use Al-Qadr as an argument, but in the present and the future, we cannot use Al-Qadr as an argument. Do you understand? Like we can't, I can't say now, okay, I'm, I'm drinking alcohol, this is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? No, this, this is the wrong argument. Right? But if something happened in the past, a person was drinking alcohol, he made tawbah, he left it, he abandoned it, and someone comes along and says, Oh, you, why did you drink alcohol? So, well, that, that was before when I was sinful. I repented from that now. How can you blame me now? Allah decreed that upon me. Right? In the past, it is permissible to use al-qadr as an argument from sins from which we have repented from. But not in the present and the future. Right? And why do the Mu'tazila say that? You understand? It's because they don't believe in Al-Qadr to begin with. So if you don't believe in Al-Qadr to begin with, then ultimately a man, you know, a, a man is unable to invoke Al-Qadr you know, to, to console himself and to, you know, for calamities that have gone in the past or sins he did in the past, which, which he's repented from. Right? And that's, that shows the harm that can arise when we when when we have these mistakes these kind of subtle mistakes in 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 aqidah in, in creed they impact so many other things and it leads to behaviors which are which are unlawful now this leads me nicely to a point where we see some of these evil misguided hate-filled people 
uh, who hate the people of the Sunnah. And for example, one of them is a man by the name of, of Daniel Hakika Jew. He is an online personality. And he mocks the people of the Sunnah. He says, you know, he says these are former, former drug addicts, you know, former convicts, former prison converts, former this, former that. He's trying to mock Salafi communities or individual Salafis because of something from their past. They may, they may have been involved in drugs, they may have been involved in crime, they may have been involved in such and such, or even communities, for example. There are communities in different places in America, in, uh, in Philadelphia, Germantown, in other places, where many, many converts, they come from a background of, you know, the, 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 again, the environment, there's crime, there's drugs, there's violence, there's murder, there's, you know, e you know there's rape, there's all sorts of crimes in the society because that's how the society is and they come out of that make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides them to Islam and they become better servants now for you to raise their past and to mock them and to make fun of them and to revile them and to castigate them and to cast doubt about and to basically demean them to look down upon them this is from the greatest of sins. And it is arrogance. And it is oppression. And I fear that people who behave like this, that there will be, that, 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 you know, that, that there will be just recompense for them in this world before the hereafter. Some humiliation. We fear for the likes of these people who behave in this arrogant, demeaning way towards the, the people of Iman. Mocking people who left a life of crime and drugs and, and disobedience to Allah. Right? And they've entered into Tawheed and they worship Allah and they, you know, and they, they, and even if they did have some baggage from the past, let's say, even then you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't make this ta'yir on account of their, of their previous sins. There's a hadith which is not, not authentic. Uh, reported by Tirmidhi and others من عير أخاه بذنب لم يمت حتى يعمله it's not an authentic hadith some scholars say it's da'if some say it's mawdu' um, which means that whoever blamed or rebuked his brother on account of a sin he will not die until he himself commits it the hadith is not authentic right so we're not we're not accepting the authenticity of the hadith However, there are scholars who've commented upon the general, uh, some, some elements of truth that are related to this issue. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimullah, has some good speech. And I'll, I'll translate the, the passage. It's from Al-Madarij, Al-Madarij al-Salikin, uh, in the first volume, uh, page 177, 178. And he has some nice speech on this topic. And, and again, uh, it, it connects to this issue of sin and al-qadr and sins you've done in the past and which you have repented from and the uh, Ibn al-Qayyim he says that what, what may be intended in this hadith even though it's not authentic right is that when you rebuke your brother on account of a sin and a sin and Ibn al-Qaim is not talking about even a sin that you repented from. He's speaking just about a sin, 
right? So keep that in mind. But we are speaking in the context of sins that people have repented from. When you rebuke your brother on account of a sin, this is this is greater in the this is a greater sin than his sin and it is a greater disobedience because what this comprises of somehow you are trying to somehow uh, kind of indirectly point out your own obedience give tazkiyah to your own self to be grateful like to, to somehow you know, uh, raise yourself and to try and make it look as if you are free of any type of sin. There's nothing you can be criticized for now or in your past for any sin. Like you're trying to raise yourself and that your brother, somehow you're trying to throw that, that sin upon him. You know, just like someone says, you are a kafir, right? Whoever accuses his brother of being, being a kafir, it will fall upon one of them, right? And so, uh, and Ibn Qayyim says that maybe, maybe the fact that if he committed that sin, that sin, or in this case, a history, a prior life of sin, disobedience, murder, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, that previous sin, maybe it has brought about in him of such humility and khudur lowering himself and you know considering himself to be really lowly and to have cured his heart from the disease of kibr arrogance and amazement with oneself and you know made him to stand in front of his lord with his head bowed down humble in awe his heart broken Maybe this is more beneficial for him than you being somehow, you know, trying to portray as if your obedience and your, you know, as if somehow you are better. Do you understand? Right? A person might have, have a big, long history, just like this man of the 99 man, men who killed 99 men. Right? That made him to inherit such remorse, <coughs> repentance, fear of Allah, humility, considering oneself to be lowly and, and you know, lowly uh, in the sight of Allah, which actually cures the kibr from his heart, right? The fact that, the fact that he has all of this sin. And then he says... Uh, How close, how much more closer is this disobedient one, meaning the one who is finding fault with the sin of the sinful person and rebuking him. He's saying, how close is this person, uh, sorry, how, um, how close is this person to the hatred of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How close is he to that? And how close is the, is the disobedient one to the mercy of Allah, right? So the one who disobeyed Allah committed sins, how much more close is he to the mercy of Allah? And how much closer is this one who somehow, you know, uh, trying to indirectly uh, raise himself and praise himself by mocking and belittling other people for their past and for their sins? How much more close is he to the maqt of Allah, 
to, to the hatred of Allah. And he says, a sin that humbles you in front of Allah is more beloved to Allah than an obedience by which you somehow try to point, like you, you pointing fingers towards yourselves. You're trying to make something of it, your, your obedience. Right? And likewise, if you spend the night sleeping and then you wake up remorseful, meaning, I slept through the night, maybe I should have prayed, I'm having remorse now, you're, you're remorseful, is better than that you spend the night standing in the prayer and you wake up in the morning amazed with yourself. MashaAllah, look at this tahajjud which I prayed. You know, I prayed long surahs and I stayed awake till this or that. You're amazed with yourself, right? So that you sleep and then wake up remorseful is better than that you pray and wake up amazed with yourself, right? And he says, فَإِنَّ الْمُعْجِبْ لَا يَسْعَدُ لَهُ عَمَلٌ The one who's amazed with himself, his action will not, will not be raised. And likewise, وَإِنَّكَ أَن تَدْحَكْ وَأَنْتَ مُعْتَرِفْ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَن تَبْكِي وَأَنْتَ مُدِلٌ That you laugh, like you're joking, laughing, joking around, but then you acknowledge your shortcoming is better for you than that you cry out of the fear of Allah and apparent fear of Allah, whatever, and then you are somehow then make, make, make something out of this. Look at that, I, I cried for the sake of Allah. And you, like it's better that you, that you be someone who's just frivolous and joking and laughing and then you realize, well, oh, this is wrong. Yeah, I acknowledge this is wrong, this is, this is my shortcoming. Then that you cry and then you think yourself somehow to be pious and fearful and great and somehow bet. No, it's better not, not, to, not, not to have that. And likewise, وَأَنِينُ الْمُذْنِبِينَ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ The fact that when you see those who are sinful and they, 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 they cry and they weep because of that is better than those who are sat there making tasbih and, you know, doing all these things and somehow feeling good about themselves. Right? And so, uh, likewise, he continues, Ibn Qayyim, he says, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by way of this sin, way of this sin, maybe this sin was an actual medicine, a medicine by which he took out of the servant, out of you, a fatal disease without you realizing. I Meaning that maybe Allah decreed upon you certain sins that you committed in the past or you, commit, you committed, for which you obviously you, you are, you are remorseful. And that sin that you committed was actually a medicine that treated you from a disease that you had in you that otherwise would have destroyed you had you not committed those sins and become humble and turned back to Allah and looked at yourself with, a, with an eye of, of derision and belittlement so you know what your true status is so then you become a, a, a humble servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so maybe this is the case and you don't even realize this. And he says, indeed, Allah falillahi fi ahli ta'atihi wa ma'asiyatihi asrarun la ya'lamuha la ya'lamuha illahu. Indeed, Allah has in respect to his servant certain secrets in respect to how he 
deals with his servants, which no one knows except him. And no one uh, kind of can glean upon except the people of Basair, the people of insight. So they know, they know from these things, um, you know, what they derive and they gain knowledge from these things and what is behind these things. And then he goes on, he says, indeed, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, look at the, look also at the mercy, look at the, the, the wisdom in the Sharia of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, which is built upon this thing. He says, indeed, uh, he, he brings the hadith, when one of you, or when, when the slave girl of one of you commits zina, so when anyone commits zina, then فَلْيَقُمْ عَلِيهَا then let the prescribed punishment be established upon, upon her. Uh, but then she should not be rebuked or blamed. Right? So meaning, as you are giving out the prescribed punishment, you give it neutrally. There should be nothing like, you know, you filthy this, you this. No. It should just be given and there's no rebuke or no anything, there's nothing like that at all. Right? Because remember, this, this is actual toba for the, for the person. Right? And so here there's, there's no tathrib. Just like Yusuf salam, he said uh, to, his, to, his, to, to his brothers, La tathriba alaykum al-yawm. Right? There's no, there's no rebuke or blame or something upon you on this day. Um, why? Because for in al-mizan biyadillah, indeed the scales, the scales of justice, they are in the hand of Allah. Wal hukum lillah, the judgment is to Allah, and even the the like the the instrument by which the prescribed punishment is given out, whatever that might be, right? So, for example the thing that is in the hand of the, of, of the, the ruler who whips the, the alcoholic or the, the fornicator who is lashed or whatever it might be or the one who slanders or whatever, that instrument, that actually, although it's in your hand, although it's in your hand and you're the one dishing it out, ultimately, as the sheikhs, as, as Ibn al-Qaim says, بِيَدِي مُقَلِّبْ الْقُلُوبِ It is ultimately in the hand of the turner of the hearts. And so the, 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 the intent here is simply to establish the had. That's all we do. We establish the had. There's no ta'yir, there's no tathrib, meaning there's no rebuke or blame or anything like that. And um, because, because, as he says, no one can escape the turns of al-qadr except the people who are ignorant of Allah. Right? Meaning that this thing that happened to this sinful person who is now being punished, right? These are from the, the, the affairs of Al-Qadr that happen. They, they happen to people. No one can escape the likes of these affairs. A person can fall into this very, very easily. And so therefore to rebuke and to blame, this is not for us to do. Until not even uh, at the moment that we are meeting out the prescribed punishments for someone who falls into a major sin. And um, uh, 
Ibn al-Qayyim continues and he says that Allah Azawajal وَقَدْ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى لِأَعْلَمِ الْخَلْقِ بِهِ وَأَقْرَبِهِمْ إِلَيْهِ وَسِيلَةً وَلَوْلَا أَنْ ثَبَّتْنَاكَ لَقَدْ كِدَّ تَرْكَنُوا إِلَيْهِمْ شَيْئًا قَلِيلًا Allah is saying to his messenger that had we not made your heart to be firm then you would have indeed inclined towards them somewhat meaning inclined to the, to the people of disbelief and you know uh, you, you might have inclined to them meaning that it is only Allah who gives protection uh, to his messenger and to the believers because otherwise we are all inclined towards towards making mistakes and towards sin and towards whatever it might be and it is Allah's favor and bounty and his protection by which we are protected and if he wants to remove it he can remove it so we are all prone to these types of things and so therefore um, uh, as, as we read in, in, in these ayat just like Yusuf alayhi salam وَإِلَّا تَصْرِفْ عَنِّي كَيْدَهُنَّ Yusuf Islam, that if you do not turn me away from their intrigue, their plot, the women who plotted, then I would surely have inclined towards them and I would have been from the ignorant people. This is Yusuf Islam acknowledging that he would have been prone to falling into the snares of those women had Allah not turned him away from that. Showing once more that we are all potential you know we, we, we can fall into that and likewise from the dua the message was salam ya muqallib al qulub you know he used to make this dua oh turn of the hearts uh, turn our hearts to your obedience or remembrance and there is no heart ma min qalbin illa wa huwa bayna isbi'in min asabi'ir rahman right there is no heart except that it is between two of the fingers of ar rahman if he wills he'll uh, you know, uh, he'll make it upright, and if he wills, he'll, you know, misguide it. Right? So it's Allah is the one who guides and who misguides. So this is beautiful speech from Ibn al Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. What is the point? What is the point that we are making? We are, uh, as we said here, it is from the way of the Mu'tazila. It is the Mu'tazila who find fault with people who, even after they've repented and made tawbah, that they say you are still blameworthy you are to be criticized you are to be rebuked you are to be you know and so this shows really these people or this individual that we are speaking about they are the most ignorant they expose their ignorance of these affairs of aqidah when they are blinded by the hatred of the people of the sunnah and they fall into this dhulm right they expose by way of that that they are ignorant of what the Messenger of Allah what he came with and the guidance which he brought. And in this case, we can clearly see that this is, this is nothing but the way of the Mu'tazila to do this, right? To blame people, you know, for... for and even then, the Mu'tazila are far, far better because they are doing it here because it follows on from their denial of Al-Qadr, right? That's, that's just their belief that they are misguided in that. But here, this is, this is like you are just deliberately trying to mock and denigrate a people whom Allah guided to Islam. They abandoned their previous life. Allah brought them guidance. They accepted guidance. And they are trying to be upon istiqamah, uh, praying, fasting, making tawbah, you know, 
uh, and you are trying to humiliate them and belittle them and mock them and denigrate them and doing it in front of the whole world. We fear for the likes of this person that this person will be punished by Allah in this life before the next because of this, of this dhulm, this, this, this crime, you know, which is, as Ibn al-Qayyim said, it's an even greater crime than the sins of those who commit sins. That's what Ibn al-Qayyim is talking about. But in this case, it's about people who've actually repented from those sins. From, from, it's in their past. So that makes it even worse. Right? So this, this shows that the Ahlul Bida'i wa Dalal do not be deceived by their, by, by their display of wara'. You know, somehow they are pious and they are righteous and they are you know, uh, concerned for the Ummah and all of this is just a show and a display. If you truly had wara' and you truly had concern for the Ummah, you wouldn't be speaking with this filth and this oppression and these lies and this, this, this arrogant uh, belittlement of other You wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be doing that. So you have no wara. You have no fear of Allah. You have no humility. You have no piety. Right? So these people, they expose everything about themselves, their character, the, what's in their hearts, their filth, their hatred, their ignorance of the Islamic creed, their ignorance of what the messenger came with. All of that, they make, it, make an open display of that and they think they are rightly guided. Fools, fools. Upon them is to make tawbah quickly before Allah's, Allah's retribution overruns them. We ask Allah for afiyah. So anyhow, this is the second issue of, uh, second issue of creed. And then the shaykh goes on. Uh, third, uh, the, the other issue also, وَمِنْ أَقِيدَةِ أَهْلِ سُنَّةِ وَالْجِمَاءَةِ في هذا الباب أن الفاسق الملي إذا لقي الله مسرا على كبيرة ولم يتوب منها فهو تحت مشيئة الله إن شاء الله غفر له ورحمه وادخله الجنة وإن شاء عذبه وإن عذبه لا يخلده في النار. Also from our creed, creed of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, is that a person who dies as a sinner and he meets Allah having persisted upon his sin then and, and he hasn't repented from the sin so he meets Allah not having repented from his from his sins or his major sins then he is beneath the he's under the will of Allah if Allah wills he will forgive him from his mercy and his bounty will enter him into paradise and if he wills he will punish him and if he punishes him then he will not make him remain forever in the hellfire. Uh, this belief here is opposed to the belief of the Khawarij. The Khawarij and also the Mu'tazila. Because they believe that anyone who dies upon major sin, if you die upon major sin, then you will remain in the hell. There's only hellfire for you forever. You will not come out of the hellfire. You will remain there. And why? Because the Khawarij do not believe and the Mu'tazil don't believe in intercession. They don't believe in intercession. Or the Khawar don't, don't believe in intercession. Why not? Is because from their ignorance they say that if Allah makes a threat, then his threat is like his promise. He must fulfill his threat. This is not true. If Allah makes a promise, he never breaks his promise. 
Allah does not break his promise. But if Allah makes a threat to do something, then he may withhold that threat and not act upon that threat because of a reason, because of a, because of a reason. So they wrongly thought, this is from their jahl in understanding the religion, understanding the Quran, that when Allah makes a threat in the Quran, he is obligated now, going back to the same thing, to fulfill that threat. No, it's not true. So for this reason, they said, because Allah, you know, threatens people in the Quran who do certain major sins that they will remain in the hellfire forever, whatever, then they, they will re remain in the hellfire. No, it's not true. If you meet Allah with a major sin, he can still overturn the threat of punishment on account of many things. Maybe you had calamities in your life. Maybe people made dua for you. Maybe Allah accepts the intercession of angels the righteous and other than them uh, for you maybe uh, you were already punished in the grave maybe you're already suffering the calamities on your Qiyamah. maybe your sins are expiated many many different reasons allah may not implement the threat right so for that reason this is what we believe even if you meet allah as a sinner as long as you died upon iman upon tawheed then allah if allah wills he'll forgive you well, I will still punish you. And if he wants to punish you, then you will not remain in the hellfire for forever. So anyhow, this, this is the second mas'ala, the issue of the acceptance of tawbah. Allah is not obligated to accept your tawbah. There are no obligations upon Allah except what he obligated upon himself, number one. Number two, we can't rebuke people for sins that they committed in their past. This is wrong. And Al-Qadr can be used as an excuse for sins that you've committed in the past and from which you have repented. But it cannot be used in the present or in the future for sins that, you, that you're doing or going to do. Right? And thirdly, in opposition to the Khawarij, even if you meet Allah have not having repented, as long as you die upon Iman, Allah may forgive you and enter you into paradise from his bounty or he may punish you from his justice but you will not remain in the hellfire forever so all of these three things they are connected they relate to tawbah and they also connect to issues of creed important issues of creed that we should be aware of so what we'll do because we've come to the end of the time uh, inshallah we'll, we'll leave the rest we'll continue with the rest inshallah ta'ala uh, in the next lesson that, that we meet up and also inshallah we, we'll make a start on the next hadith Insha'Allah Ta'ala The hadith of the Again we come back to the, the men uh, In the cave The three men in the cave Making dua to Allah I think We covered it uh, briefly before But the Shaykh gives an explanation of that hadith also So we'll come back to that So we'll leave that insha'Allah Ta'ala for, uh, for the next time that we, that we meet Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين So your question was what's the difference between Allah creating the actions and us having our own free will No Allah is the, Allah is the Khaliq the khaliq, the creator of the a'mal, 
uh, Allah is the creator of the, the, the servants of the actions. That's because he created us, our essences, and he gave us faculties of hearing, seeing, reflecting, understanding. He gave us limbs. He gave us a will. So we're able to freely act. And then he sent us guidance through the messengers, through books, through messengers. And he told us this is the right way, this is the wrong way. This is the beneficial way, this is the harmful way, this is the wholesome, tayyib, halal, this is khabith, you know, filthy, vile, unlawful. He explained all these affairs to us. So when we act, we act clearly, we act through the will that Allah gave to us and through the ability, the qudra that he gave to us, we are exercising that and we are not compelled in any way to do those actions. We, we, we don't feel compelled. And uh, so this is true, but it's also true that we and our actions are creations of Allah, right? We and our actions, we are creations of Allah. So nothing is outside of the creative power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in opposition to the Mu'tazila. Because they say, yes, Allah gave you power, Allah gave you will. But once he gave it to you, once he gave it to you after that, then what you are doing is completely outside of the will and the creative power of Allah. That's what the Mu'tazila say. Right? This is not true. We, we are still, our actions are still the creations of Allah. Clearly. Because Allah created us. Right? And whatever we do, even though it is through our volition, through our choice, that is still attributed to Allah in the sense that it is His creation. He created it. Right? Our act is not his act, right? So when someone steals, who's stealing? You're the one who's stealing. Is, is Allah stealing? We don't say that. That's not Allah's action. Allah is the creator of that action that servant did. Allah created the servant and what the servant did, in this case it is the act of stealing, but it could be a righteous deed, it could be someone who prays or fasts. Allah is the creator of those actions. So they are attributed to Allah uh, as, as the creator of those actions, but we are the ones who are the doers of those actions by way of the will, the power uh, that Allah has given to us. And he has also told us the right from the wrong. So we are responsible, we are held accountable, and we are not forced in any way to do a deed because this would be a silly argument if someone, and we've been through this before many times, if someone said, well, I was forced, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I drink alcohol or I, or I gamble and I can't help it. Look, Allah decreed it upon me. What am I supposed to do? It's Allah's qadr. And so if you, again, punched him or you did something or you stole from him or you uh, took all his wealth from him or you did something harmful, that was why Allah's qadr as well. Allah's qadr as well. You have no argument. You know, you, this is a silly argument. Everybody knows this is not true. Otherwise, there would be no justice in the world. Right? There absolutely has to be justice. And that's why uh, all of this Darwinian evolution, materialist nonsense is the most ridiculous nonsense which, which removes all 
notions of, of, of justice because then it's anything, anything goes. There's, there's no, you know, you know, and that's how you can justify anything. Wars, invasions, occupations, oh, it's just survival of the fittest. The survival of the fittest, that's all there is, you know. So the, 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 the argument uh, for, for Al-Qadr or that somehow we are compelled or whatever, that's, that's not true. It's not true at all. So, but, but in essence, to answer your question, Allah is the creator of our actions and nothing is outside of Allah's creative power. All the actions of the servants. Like was, that's why Al-Bukhari wrote the book, Khalq Af'alil Ibad. Creation of the actions of the servants. All our actions are created, but we are the doers of our actions for which we will be rewarded or be punished. Because Allah gave us will, choice, knowledge, ability, power, and he gave us guidance, and he gave us books, and told us what's right and wrong. So we are, we are, we are responsible for what we do. Uh, and, and what we do, these are our actions, right? So when we pray, that action is our action of prayer. When we fast, it's our action of fasting. When we make tasbih, it's our action of making tasbih. These are our actions. These are our sifat. These are our af'al, right? But Allah is their creator. So very simple. The, the, what it means Allah guides and misguides um, again this goes back to the issue of Al-Qadr because <clears throat> it comes back down to Allah's knowledge Allah's prior knowledge Allah has prior knowledge of all things and he knows what he's going to create and he knows the servants who's going to create and he knows the destination of every servant that's in his prior knowledge before he creates the creation then when he creates the creation he facilitates for each person through his decrees the, the destination for that person right so if it's a person of hellfire he will facilitate for him the actions to hellfire. But without that meaning, without that meaning, that somehow that person has been forced to do his actions. No. Not at all. Right? And likewise, a person whom he knows from his prior knowledge to be a person of paradise, Allah will facilitate for him the circumstances, the situations, the different chains of events in his life that will lead him to do deeds that will lead him to paradise right but in no way does that mean that that person has been forced to do what he does right as he's doing it he is fully making a choice to do what he's doing right so therefore Allah is the one who guides and who misguides. He guides a person to his eventual destination. Or he misguides a person from the straight path to his eventual destination. Allah guides, Allah misguides. This is what the Mu'tazila have a problem with. Because they, they believe, well, how can this be? This doesn't seem to be right because 
How can Allah guide and misguide and then punish and reward? Because he's the one doing the act. No. See, what we are doing here is what we are, we are combining all truth and all aspects of the truth and combining them together to show there is no contradiction. There's no contradiction. Right? What they are doing is from their human reason and human deficient understanding, they are making false analogies for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are saying, well, if Allah guides and misguides, like, you know, uh, this would be, would be injustice, right? And they, they, they're trying to make analogies for Allah which are, which are not applicable. If we say that Allah Azawajal creates the actions of the servants and he guides and misguides, that in no way does it mean that you or I freely chose our actions and we are accountable for our actions. There's no contradiction between these two things. They see a contradiction. That's why they don't say Allah guides, Allah misguides. They, they, even though that's what it clearly says in the Quran. Right? Whomever Allah guides, it clearly says in the Quran, but they, they don't speak with this because they don't believe Allah actually guides and misguides because this would be injustice to them. Right? So, yes, because uh, the key to all of this is the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? The argument with the Mu'tazila always starts with the issue of knowledge. If Allah has prior knowledge of his creation, then the rest of it automatically follows. You have no argument after that. That's why Imam al-Shafi used to say, debate the Qadariyyah with, with the issue of knowledge. Start with the issue of knowledge. Does Allah have prior knowledge of the servants? No? Okay, well, you're a kafir then, because you believe Allah does not have all-encompassing knowledge. Yes, Allah does have, have prior knowledge. Well, okay, in that case, if he does have prior knowledge of the actions of the servants, then either they occurred through his will or they didn't occur through his will. They obviously have to occur because he wants it to occur. Right? And if he wants it to occur, so it just follows. You, you, it's, it's compelling. You can't escape from that. Right? So yes, if Allah has prior knowledge that in this creation there will be these servants and these servants will be in paradise and the, in the creation there will be these servants that will be in hellfire, then when Allah creates the creation, he will facilitate for each, exactly as occurs in the hadith, right? Everyone, kullun muyassarun lahu. For every person, it's made easy for him. Allah will facilitate for each soul the circumstances where he's born, the family in which he's born, the environment, all the, like I said, the, the, everything in his life that will lead him to do the actions on account of which he will then enter paradise or vice versa, hellfire. And in that circumstance, never ever was he ever forced to do what he did. He always had a free choice and a free will to, to actually do that. Right? There's no, there's no, no one was compelled to do anything. To, you can believe or you can disbelieve. You can uh, fast or not fast. You can pray or not pray. You can, uh, you know, you, you can not drink and you can drink alcohol. You can commit fornication and not commit fornication, right? You, you can choose to do that. You have the choice to do that. 
And you absolutely have no argument to, to use Al-Qadr as an excuse because then someone else can use it against you and, and shoot you dead and say, well, it's Al-Qadr. Al-Qadr. And you wouldn't accept that. You would want justice in a court of law. You would demand justice. So is there not justice in, in, in the hereafter then? Reward and punishment for the deeds that you do freely in the life of this world? It's just nonsensical. This doesn't make any sense. So all of these, these are from the doubts of the We've spoken today mainly about the doubts of the Mu'tazila. Um, and again, all these problems arise because of mistakes in creed and people using reason over revelation and then it leads to these kind of mistakes that, that, we, that we see here start to surface. They start to surface in people's speech and people's behavior. And that's why Ahlul Bid'ah as, as I said, the people of Bid'ah, they, they, they are riddled and poisoned with these types of things. You can see it clearly in, in their statements, in their behaviors, in their positions, in their attitudes, approaches. You can see, you can like generally smell there's, some bid, there's something bid'i coming from this from this man we can smell it it doesn't seem to be right like why are you demeaning and criticizing people for their sins that they repented from how can this be be justice how does it somewhere along the line you're going to find that this this behavior it comes back down to some issue of aqidah that they're not that they don't know that they're not understanding or something that they are poisoned with from the poison of i'tizal, right? The, the way of the mu'tazila, the way of the khawarij, or the way of the murji'a, the way of the rafida, whatever it might be. So it shows, you can see, alhamdulillah, the tremendous benefit in the uh, ilm of the people of the sunnah, that when they speak about tawbah, they bring things of aqidah which benefit you, and it gives you like a, a good overall broad understanding uh, of these issues uh, so we ask Allah Azawajal to uh, reward the scholars greatly and not to deprive us of their likes now or in, in the future may Allah raise uh, scholars like this uh, to guide and to preserve this ummah upon khair and with that we'll conclude Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in